Every new year, there's pressure to work out, and it stops people from even starting. But starting is what matters most. So Peloton's made starting easy with up to $600 off Peloton bike purchases and two months free membership. Start moving with the Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, Tread, Row, or Guide, and thousands of classes with instructors ready to support you from day one. Shop Peloton's New Year offers at onepeloton.com slash deals. All access membership separate. Terms apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, how do we get AI right? Well, we need the right volume of data and massive compute power. But with HPE GreenLake, we get access to supercomputing to power AI at the scale we need. Search HPE GreenLake. The Secret Library Podcast is made possible with the support of our generous Patreon community. Your membership allows us to continue producing this podcast for as little as $1 a month. Learn more at patreon.com slash secret library. This is the Secret Library Podcast. Welcome to Season 4, The Visible Writer. What happens when you publish your work for the first time? How does this impact your visibility? We'll be exploring these and other questions this season. We're also excited to make this show more visible. If this episode is inspiring for you, please share it with a friend and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you. It means the world and helps these conversations reach even more listeners. My guest today is Claire Harnett-Mann. Claire is a poet and fiction writer from Birmingham, United Kingdom. She has a bachelor's degree in English language and literature and a master's degree in creative writing and has also undertaken graduate work in both gender studies and education. Her writing explores identity through othered perspectives, such as female desire and consent, and the use of non-standard Englishes and intertextuality. Her poetry has been published in Magma and the Rialto, and more recently Street Cake, Mookie Chick, Black Flowers, and Cape Magazine. Her first novella, How to Bring Him Back, follows Kate as she stumbles between two men and drifts further from the things she wants. Set in a seedier side of 90s Birmingham, this darkly lovable story about desire and consent is upcoming in October 2021 from Fly on the Wall Press as part of their short season. Claire is also a teacher of English and literacy, working with refugee and migrant communities. It's my absolute delight to have Claire Harnett-Mann on the show this week because her writing is beautiful, for one thing, and because it's such a joy to have someone in that very special space between getting the book deal yet before the moment when it comes out. And we've had so many successful authors on the show who have published many, many, many books. But I know that those listening are not necessarily at the point of having published 5, 10, 15 books, that this is more likely to be the moment that you relate to. 
And so I wanted to have Claire on to hear about her thought process and the choice of publisher, which was quite conscious on her part, and share some of that magic with you. I know you're going to love Claire, and I'm happy to share this conversation with you. Hey, Claire. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, Caroline. It's great to be here. I'm a long-time listener, so I'm, it's like a little dream come true for me. <laughs> What is a dream come true for me too? Because I have been waiting to be able to talk to a course participant who now has a book coming out with a pub deal, which is huge. It's true. It's true. I was part of Dream to Draft uh, last summer and um, I um, kind of did a reconceptualization of a, of a book that I'd written um as part of my dissertation and I went with that and sent it out I think it'd gone out three times before and I, I re-looked at it with you and sent it out and then it got accepted it's <laughs> in so a kind of like awesome. a month timeline so yeah amazing well I want to go back to the beginning because you're not just a fiction writer you're also a poet and I'm interested yes. in what what it means to you to identify visibly out in the world as a writer and what has that looked like sort of over time for you? Small question to start. <laughs> yes. Well, when you say about what it's like to um, be visible as a writer, as a poet and a fiction writer, I'm thinking of a, a tagline that I've been working with recently, which is a uh, poet, fabulous, hag. Because I wanted to, I wanted to summarise all what I think are really three important parts of my identity when it comes to to writing. So poet will always come first. Um, it's my first love, and I think I approach my fiction um, very much from a, a poet's eye and a poet's perspective. Um, fabulous, then I think it's just a bit more exciting than fiction writer. It's um, I'm very interested in archetypes and just the whole yarn spinning element of fiction writing. So fabulous, I, I think, is just sounds a bit more exciting. And then hag, there's always a spiritual element for me. Writing is really part of my spiritual practice. And so I need I need for it to be seen as that. And um, the reclamation aspect of hag as a, a woman in her in her mid forties. Uh, as we record this, it's actually going to be my birthday tomorrow. So mm. I'm about to hit the mid 40 mark at 45. So I'm not scared of the word hag. I want to claim it in all its power, magic, and I want people to see that. Oh, that's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I think that part of the power I always see with poets is even down at a granular level, the, the sort of control awareness and relationship with individual words, even choosing fabulous instead of fiction writer, I love. Because one of the best things about being a writer is that if we don't like a word, we can just pick another one. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's true. We've got all these words at our hands and why just go for the ones that everybody else is going to go for? make it a nuance to really describe um, what we want it to say. <laughs> I love Get that, that nuance there. Um, 
In fact, even how I write um, my fiction or my fables, maybe I should say, um, draws on my poetry. Uh, I'm, there might be an old poem hanging around that's part of a bigger story, really. And I'll start to think, I'm going to unpack this. I'm going to unpack this into a story. Um, it could be um, six months old, the poem. It could be more. It could be 10 years old at this rate. I mean, it could be 25 years old. I have, I look like a new writer emerging in some ways um, onto um, Twitter and into publication. Um, I've been around on Instagram a little bit longer, but really there's, you know, there's everything underneath the surface. There's been a writing life for 25 years underneath there. And um, so, yeah, I use poems as seeds and kernels for um, my fables and my fiction. I think that's such an important point because there is this point when things become visible and that can be for a number of reasons. It could be because we've decided to put something out. It could be because things that have been out for a long time are suddenly snatched up and people start sharing them. But often the point of visibility is rarely the point when things started happening. There's all of this work that's happened under the surface. So you started writing poetry for many years, and then I'm really interested in the moment you decided to get the masters and and what mm. the the thinking was, because there's so many thoughts both ways on doing higher education as a writer. And I want to know what your thought process was for that. Yeah, so... Um... A few years, so I, I did a master's at the Open University starting um, 2000 and I can't think if it's 2017 or 18 now, but very um, recently. And about a few years prior to that, I just trained um, um, with my teaching degree. And I felt like this, my teaching degree, this is um, a more steady source of income. And this is what I've wanted to do for a while, but with family commitments, it didn't really fit. It didn't really fit in. So I was going for a, the professional teaching career. And after that was completed, and I uh, was in a role and in place as a teacher, working part time. It's like, well, if I can do this for the um, that professional part, what about this this dream I've had for a long time of really taking my writing seriously turning up for it in the same way that I'm turning up for myself as a teacher. And, and then there was a decision to make between whether I would major in uh, poetry or fiction. Now, I've, as I said previously, I feel like poetry is my first love and that's the heart that leads me. So I went for what I felt was my, my weaker strand. Um, wasn't that I didn't think that there was anything to be taught <laughs> for me for, for poetry, but um, and there was a, po uh, a poetry element to it, but um, yeah, I, I I just felt that there was this little knack or something <laughs> to uh, writing fiction that I that I'd missed, and um, I found out the knack to it was turning up to it and taking it seriously. <laughs> That's so funny. I think that that's, it's, there is this weird backward process I find with learning. And I'm most f familiar with long form, like fiction or nonfiction, 
um, rather than poetry, but it seems like there's going to be some secret or some method or some order of activities we can do. And then we, everything will just happen. And, and often by doing programs, what we learn is, oh yeah, when I did it consistently, it worked out. I know. <laughs> Imagine, imagine, yeah. So there is that element of turning up to it and actually finding how it fits with you. I think there isn't this category of fiction that lives outside of writers. The category of um, we are bringing ourselves to it. It's not like this platonic ideal somewhere of fiction writing. It's uh, we bring ourselves to it and it it becomes our fiction writing and we're part of that conversation of writing in that way. So how we will find out the secret of fiction writing for ourselves is by finding how it works in relationship to who we are. Oh, that's such an important distinction because I see this happening so often with, with students is this, there's this hope and this idea that they'll be able to join join the club, you know, that mm. the club is outside of us and that we have to prove that we're allowed to come in rather than the club is simply participating. And if you participate, you're part and you're helpful, um, not helpful, but you're a force that defines what writing is. Mm. And that's the, that will be the first step. So the first step in stepping into your identity as a writer is finding out how it relates to you. So it's like your visibility to yourself. Um, but the, the second step then will be finding that space to be in conversation with the, the club. So I think maybe sometimes there's, um, there's a conflation of those two elements. We need to find out what our, relate, our own relationship is to the writing before then we go and be in relationship with other people as writers. We can't go to other people and say, how, how am I, writer? How am I? <laughs> we need to have that conversation with ourselves. But then there will be that um, next step of the, the arena, visibility, the conversation with other writers, you know, for our own... Um, for our own platform, I guess. I mean, platform's a pretty showy word for a, for a Pisces. Um, <laughs> if we have a platform, we can pass the mic to other people as well. I mean, <laughs> but yeah. I think that's, yeah, because there's also, there is the inter internal conversation. And I think we often think that something like education or courses or teachers can bestow you know, what, what we need in that arena, but it is often us choosing and taking it on. But then there are these other conversations where one is talking to other writers and then the other one is talking to non-writers, Yes, you know, about what we do. And I find those two things so different. Did, how is mm. that for you? Okay. So I'm, I think about that in relationship um building so um meeting with meeting and speaking with other writers i mean i love uh workshops open mics courses such as dream to draft as we spoke about uh, caroline and um being with writers who are at the same stage as you in in their thinking and in their process um but then through other uh, social media platforms like um, Instagram that I've been uh, using for 
maybe six, seven years. Um, conversations with other creatives who aren't necessarily writers, because it's not just writers who like to read writing as well. And what we bring into the um, what we're bringing to that creative conversation might be our own work as writers, but they will having conversations with other um, creatives and being in relationship with them because the things that are input into us as writers isn't all just writing. You know, it's other forms of art, other forms of creativity, spirituality. So, um, yeah, that's that's speaking about writing to, to writers and non-writers really means to me. Yeah, we have to have the definition for ourselves before we're ready to put it out there and to sort of take up space in a way and, and to say, oh, here I am, this is what I'm doing. Hmm. I mean, I must say it is a lot, it is a lot easier or it's a lot easier for me because I can only speak for, for myself rather than the wider experience. That moment that you can put in your um, bio link that you have something forthcoming and then you think, oh, there is a little bit of <laughs> there, there is a little bit of validation there in that, um, but I had to have the relationship to writing and defining myself as writer before that, where it felt more precarious. And now it does feel a little bit more on solid ground with a with a book forthcoming. Um, but yeah, you, you don't you, you have to enter into that relationship to the word writer first with yourself. Absolutely. Well, I'm interested in that process as well, because you worked on the book in the Masters and then redefined it and sent it out. And it was quickly accepted, which is really wonderful to hear. I think we often hear of very long, agonizing stories. So I always love hearing a different one. But I'm interested in how you came into relationship with this press um, yeah what the choice was there, because I know you've spoken a little bit about really consciously directing towards a particular type of press. And I'm mm. interested in hearing about that as well. Well, um, I mean, published with Fly on the Wall Press, who are an uh, indie press. So it's um, the process may seem a little quicker because I haven't gone through agents. This is a, um, an unsolicited work sent out. Well, it's kind of solicited in the sense that there are submission windows. Um, and I think the process of finding Fly on, Fly on the Wall is through wide reading in indie presses of myself, you know, looking about who people are published by, um, there, it start, it, that even starts with the thing that we should are told that we should never do, like the aesthetic, judging a book by its cover. But it does say a little bit about something, if you like the look of something. Um, thankfully, with Fly on the Press, uh, they are more than just some very pretty book covers as well. <laughs> um, uh, their tagline is that they're a publisher with... Um, publisher with conscience. So for instance, um, Isabel Kenyon, who is the um, editor-in-chief there, um, she has just published an anthology of writing from um, street children globally. So she's given um, platform to all sorts of voices that wouldn't normally be heard. And that's really a publisher that I want to be involved in one who are really thinking about who they're publishing and um, giving, giving space to people. I mean, I've, I've not heard of an 
I've not really heard of a kind of anthology like that before. And it's really ambitious. So, yeah. That's great. And so I think this comes to another layer of thinking about how we make not just ourselves as writers, but also how putting our writing out in the world can be a way to share our values and what's meaningful Mm. to us. And that can go as far as which particular publisher you go with and many, many layers beyond. Yeah, and that's part of um, that conversation at the beginning that you can have with yourself about defining yourself as a writer, because you'll need to think about where your writing is going to be is going to be placed, um, and your visibility there is you know knowing who you're sharing a space with, knowing when it's time to give platform to other people, um, asking. Uh, with the publishers that you're going to be working with, who else they're giving a voice to? Is it the same old? <laughs> with the same old tick boxes? Or are there, you know, are they giving voice to some exciting, exciting people that need to be heard? Yeah, it's, I think this also is looking at where publishing is today, you know, and we've seen a lot of, unfairness and discrepancies given voice to over in particular the last year as we're all in inside thinking about things spending a lot of time with books and and looking at how the pandemic has impacted people unequally you know all of that has played out and I think that we have two layers it's like okay the stories that are told are the ones that are made visible and then how can we be a part of a conversation that includes more people, even as we ourselves want to be included and share our work as well? That's definitely um, a dichotomy that I do struggle with a lot between the fact that I want, I do, I do want to be heard. And it's a sense of why do you want to be heard? What are you bringing to this that's different? Are you just feeding in to the old stories and old um, paradigms? Um, the, the old way of even things being told. So there is the content of your work and also the way that it's being told. So something needs to be, something needs to be innovative there. So we, we don't, we're not in a position now, I'm not in a position now, reclaim my eye, that I want to be upholding old structures um, that have gone before, that are only given, um, platforms to particular voices um ones that have been to the who who have been to the right universities and on the right um creative writing courses i mean we have going back to speak about um my master's in creative writing here in the uk i was able to do that through the open university and borrow money to be able to do that so it was accessible for me and that became part of why I was turning up in a way I have to say that there was financial motivation knowing that I had borrowed at the time six thousand pounds to do that which for me is a lot to do um, a master's in something I mean it's a very small amount compared to a lot of MFAs that people are doing um we can't just have accessibility um to writing platforms for people who can afford tens and tens of thousands of pounds um, let's democratize this a little. 
Agreed. Yeah, I think it's, this is always a really interesting question for me about what path we take to get to publication and what path we take to sharing, because it's true. Um, it's even worse in the U.S. in terms mm. of the amount of money one spends, even for all the education that may come up to the point of the MFA without the sort of guarantee of results. So what is the relationship to getting higher education and what does that mean? But also what do we gain and who are we missing out on by not including them in that process? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to choosing degree programs carefully as well, I mean, I, I must, I'm going in for a criticism a little of my degree program here. So I want to um, uphold here that I had an absolutely excellent tutor, my tutor, Hannah Vincent, who uh, is a fiction writer. Um, she, we, she worked so well in both being kind with her feedback, but incisive in what was needed to be to be lifted up. So there was definitely the quality in the tu- you know in the in the tutor relationship. Um, but when I chose the degree program, I I chose a degree program really that it didn't want a portfolio beforehand. Um, I wanted something online because I think, as I mentioned before, I hadn't long finished um, a PGCE, so a teaching certificate that I was uh, completing part time while I was working. And that was evenings away from my home and family. And even though I wanted this commitment to a master's degree, I didn't want to be spending another two nights, one night any nights a week in uh, in education after being at work all day as well. So I chose this degree programme that was online that didn't want a portfolio beforehand. And perhaps part of that was I was happy not to be seen. I was happy for my writing not to be seen going in there. But then that's exactly the type of um, programme and vibe it created. So I know that there are very few people on my year group who are still actively trying to get their work out there. So when we choose our degree programs, we're also choosing our alumni around us. Um, And I've been doing uh, a lot of work on my own uh, visibility with other writers working at the same um, entry points as me at the moment, or um, because I haven't got that visibility in my own degree program, mainly because of the choices that I had, which do relate to uh, and money and time <laughs> um, and also you know some of it is my own timidity a little you know but we all um, just because we're writers doesn't necessarily mean we're gregarious some some of us do <laughs> some of us might tip more into <laughs> the timid side but um, so part of my um, journey now is building up another set of um, writers around me who I can who I can um, uplift and who I can have conversation with, pass the mic to, um, through open mics and workshops and courses. Um, and just, I mean, I'm really not keen on the word network because it can be used in a kind of meaningless way I'm trying to build meaningful relationships not just I've met that person I'll add those to my account I've met that person I'm trying to make uh, a meaningful relationship with people but it does fall under the the category of, of networking in that way and if you don't have 
access to the right creative writing degree or other degree programs, then you are going to struggle in that way. And you do need to be visible with other writers um, in order to be heard in the writing world. The writing world is very noisy. Yes, I know. It's very interesting because we can be very quiet and also very noisy at the same time. (laughs) It's like we're very quiet in terms of speaking and we're not necessarily gregarious party people, but we do generate a lot of words. Mm. I mean, that's what we do. And Mm. we've all been at home the last year now. Um, in many cases, cranking out the words. So I think it's, again, it is this this question of what happens when we want to take up space and yet there is this perception of how much space is there and and what does that look like? Yes. And my mind has just gone as wide as space to that question. (laughs) Space. It's, well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that yeah. there's an answer. I think this is yeah. just something that we play with. Um, one thing I thought of as you were talking about the the odious word networking, which I agree is one of the least sexy ones going. I was like, what about if we transform it like hag? What if it was web working? That already sounds better to me. Web working, yes. <laughs> I'll totally for be the, in a writer's yeah, web writing, with you. Yeah. Yeah, for the writing hack, a bit of web working. I'm going to, I like web work, but I, I'm also going to, I think, be working on my own word for it. Definitely needs I, a bit I of can't wait to hear there it. as well. So uh, watch this space. I am, um, I'm <laughs> watching it. I am watching it. Absolutely. So the other piece is that you have a book that's coming out in this calendar year. And I'm interested in. Yes, there is the power of that beautiful word forthcoming that can be that can be shared, but there's also the fact that it is in fact forthcoming. And I'm wondering how it feels to know that it's going to be out there. Yes. I mean, I think I think there is an aspect where it becomes the, the worst thing about um As a writer, you might think that the worst thing is not being published. And then you wake up one night and you know you're about to be published and you think, oh, my goodness, I think the worst thing might be being published. I mean, this is my (laughs) tendency coming together, making it rather binary there. Because, yes, the words are going to be out there. But I, I, I want those words to be heard. I want those words to be read. I want those words to be seen. Um... Because I, in this book, uh, How to Bring Him Back, it's a 100-page novella. Uh, and I've really tried to look from the perspective, right from the perspective, um, very female perspective, a particular type of female perspective of a young woman who is lost and drifting. And in fiction, you know, we often think about a tight plots. <laughs> we often think about... Um, how the narrative will unfold um, and hit in certain points. And for a long time, although I had a desire to write fiction, it was, I was particularly thinking about this very kind of tightly plotted fiction. And I wasn't really fitting in there. And it was that matter of stepping back and looking at myself and thinking, is this really the type of fiction that 
you read and enjoy? Aren't you aren't you still in the modernism era, really, in your own reading choices? Being a big fan of Virginia Woolf and James Joyce and more a stream of consciousness and even that aspect of um, producing fiction that recognises its own position as something written on the page. Um, and I was somehow managed to get lost down some rabbit holes of thinking that fiction had to be a type of fiction that I wasn't writing. I don't, I don't know how I got lost down there, but sometimes you can take a wrong turn and then not question how you got to that point. Oh, definitely. So, <laughs> and then you think, oh, hold on, I've got, I've got a bit of unravelling to get here. So being in close relationship with my own uh, writing, my own identity as a writer, helped remind me what I liked as a reader and what I felt needed producing. I mean, speaking of visibility and being a little apprehensive for things to be seen in the world, I do have to say that in just 100 short pages, um, my book does contain 55 instances of the word fuck. I mean, I'm, I'm such so cleanly and nicely spoken here now. So uh, older relatives, I'll be trying to steer those away from it. I don't think that... <laughs> But I really wanted to get into how the character I had uh, created spoke and would interact. And she was, she just emerged and she really wasn't very cleanly spoken. She wasn't, um, she wasn't just the, the nicest person. We don't have to write about nice women, do we? No, I think it's better if we don't, <laughs> but it does, it does. Oh, I so relate to this, so relate to it so much because um, one of the most terrifying things about writing The Voyeur, the serial novel I'm yes. working on now and sending out like moments after I write it every week is that I cannot tell you why, but uh, like a gaggle of older female relatives are reading it. And I am aware of this every week. It's like extended family. And, and there's like, you know, there's some BDSM in this thing. And I warned everybody. I was like, <laughs> but, but I'm just like, oh my God, they're going to read it. And they keep reading it and sending this really amazing feedback. But there's something so strange about, in some ways, I find it more intimidating for familiar people to me to read it rather than total strangers. Yes, and I think this is part of the reason why we'll be web working to make sure that there are people <laughs> who are strangers to be able to, to read it there. Uh, yes, I mean, a big thing about writing um, this particular story was that I felt that a lot of, this sounds a little depressing, but let's come from an honest place, a lot of sex in uh, books was written from an idealistic place. And I just wanted to write about muddled desire, about not really knowing what is want, uh, what is wanted, um, what how muddled consent can be. Consent is a big theme in there. Um, my book is now historically set because 1990s apparently is a long time ago. <laughs> so it, it's historically set and. Um, 
so the it was set in a time that there was perhaps less understanding of the wider issues around consent in heterosexual relationships and what was expected once certain aspects of the sexual act had started, for instance. And I wanted to really delve into that, but like because of working within a consciousness, what was happening on the outside and what was happening on the inside of the person, what was happening, um, what they were experiencing. So this kind of constellation of consciousness, there might be one thing happening, but so, so much happening of the consciousness of the character on the inside. And um, going back to not having this tightly plotted fiction, I wanted to have this ambiguity of what a character wanted in any one moment. So that, yeah, she's not really a She's not really a character that knows what she wants as she goes through, but somehow she's managed to survive as a fictional character. I think, yeah, I mean, we all do it as real live people, not always knowing exactly what we want. We get lost down rabbit holes of of what kind of writing we want to do. I think that's I think that's a huge point. We do all of these things, and yet here we are. We're not destroyed, even if we, do things that don't work perfectly for us all the time. Yeah, uh, there are two. Uh, there are two strands in the story too, because I did. I did want some um, distance from maybe the, the um, some of the darker choices that the character is making, and uh, I did a strand between an older character reflecting back on what the younger character did. So the older character writes um, in the first person and she writes that the book um, as um, an apology to another character um, because that it is essentially a love triangle between um, a woman and two friends. And she's writing an apology to the person that she feels she's treated worse in that situation. And, that, and then the 90s strand is written in the third person, given a distance between. So it, that also draws attention to the fact that it is a fiction being created. Um, but I, I, I like... I, I like that idea um, of knowing why the words are on the page, right back from that kind of Robinson Crusoe <laughs> first novel. This is because this is a record of what has happened rather than hmm, why, why would these words even be on a page? It's like it, it becomes, it's fiction becomes part of the fact that it is a document in the first place as well. So why is this book even available? it creates a fiction around why it is a document as well. So good. I can't wait to, I can't wait to have it. Um, and it comes out in October of this year. Yes. Yes. So it's part of a, se uh, a series of six shorts. So um, Isabel at Fly on the Wall um, has chosen six fictional shorts um, that range between 30 pages and um, mine's the longest, I think, at 100 pages virgin uh, on novella size um, that she has chosen because she thinks they're all politically engaged. So the first one is out already and it's by David Hartley and it's called Pigskin. 
and it's a vegan reworking of Animal Farm and it's beautiful but grim. That's out and that's available already. And, um, and that's been nice being able to be um, part of a launch for the first time with five other writers. So it feels like we're part of a we're part of a group. So the way that that has been um, launched and just conceived together as well as these short fictions that work together. Uh, that's something really fun and interesting. I think that Isabel's doing there. That's really nice. It's like you get a you get a cohort to experience it with. Mm. Yeah, it's so part weird. of your web. <laughs> yes, I'll have to let them know. <laughs> we're part of Isabel's <laughs> web. <laughs> yeah, just so you know, just so you know, we're in the web. Yes. So, um, but it, it's available as a, a subscription as well um, for all six books. So, it being just popping along after every two months, having a politically engaged short fiction popping through your door, or they can be um, uh, bought separately as well. So it's nice to be able to um, uplift and promote other, the other writers around there. That's actually such a nice way to do it because it's it's so common when you have a book out that yes, there are people and other writers who've had the same experience and you feel like, yes, you can talk to each other about it, but to have your own book promotes someone else's book automatically and, and vice versa is really beautiful. Mm, yeah, I, I agree. So kudos to Isabel there. She's, I think she's working in a visionary space at the moment for, for what publishing can do. Amazing. You need to speak with her. <laughs> I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm picking it up. <laughs> it's been such a joy to have you, Claire. I could, of course, talk with you all day, but wonderful to hear part of your journey into putting your work out i'm so thrilled that we get to have it soon and as always such a delight to chat with you and i'm so grateful that we get to we get to share this conversation with everyone listening thanks so much caroline thank you so much for listening to the secret library podcast We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.